Welcome to the Self-Publishing Queen podcast. My name is Josiane Fortin and I'm a self-published author. I'm obsessed with helping and motivating writers to publish their books and share their gift with the world. My goal with this podcast is to inspire you to take action and be the writer you want to be. Let's go! Hello, writers. I'm Josiane Fortin, and today I'm so glad to be interviewing Neil Mack. Neil is the self-published author of 12 books, and uh, so please tell us a little bit about you. Thank you, Josiane. Well, I'm an English grandfather. I was born in the year that rock and roll was invented. Okay. <laughs> I retired after a lifetime of law enforcement. Um, we married. Uh, I married Sue in 1981. We have two daughters. We should both married. I've got two grandchildren, Griff and Ari. I live in Surrey in England, which is a bit along the River Thames from Windsor Castle, if anybody knows it. Uh, during my law enforcement career, I helped to disrupt international organised crime gangs. And uh, towards the end of my career, I started uh, thinking about writing. I wrote my first novel for NaNoWriMo uh, in 2012. And I think I wanted to kind of make sense of my life experiences. So I tend to write stories that, that are based on loyalty and on duty, because that's obviously the stuff that okay. engines my life. But you don't write mysteries or crime books. You write fantasy. Yeah, I mean, you'd expect me to, wouldn't you? But I think it would, that would be uh, too close to home. So I think that's, and I'm a very fanciful person as well. So okay. I have flights of fancy, uh, which obviously didn't go particularly well in the uh, criminology side of things, because you have to be exact. But obviously, breaking away from that, I wanted to kind of fly free. Um, okay. through, through my life, um, my role models have largely been strong women. Um so to give you an example, I enrolled in a stage dance school when I was five and I was the only boy in um, the, the shows. So I was the Billy Elliot type character, if people know that. And the sports boys, you know, the jocks would make fun of me. But of course, I had lots of uh, female friends and I was raised in a household of strong women. I've got three sisters. My father, who was also a cop, he wasn't around very much. Um, and obviously being married and having two more daughters my world is surrounded by strong women and um, that's been an important part of my life as well my main interest apart from reading writing by the way is music and I've been a singer in stage shows obviously when I was in the theatre school but I've been a professional DJ I played guitar in a band I was a music promoter and from 2007 I've been writing articles for music magazines so I do that as, as well as doing the um, fiction Okay, so you're very creative. Your career was not fulfilling that side, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliantly put. So what brought you to write the very first book? Was it like just like a lifelong dream? Was it a second career for you? How did you envision that? Yeah, that's good. a good way of asking me. Um, it was important for me to write because music is such a big part of my life and it had been since the age of five. And I wanted to ask a question, and that was, what would the world be like if music was banned? And for example, at around about that time, popular music was becoming banned in places like Afghanistan and um, Iran. Some other extremist states were starting to sort of close the uh, idea of popular music down. So I decided I wanted to write a, about an imaginary world where the authorities wanted to kill musicians and eradicate music. And also that would also bring in, of course, some um, duty and loyalty. So I wrote um, a book called The Last Music Barrier, and it's about a monk. And it's set in the future medieval Europe. 
and he's the last musician to be alive. And that sort of like ticked enough of my boxes that I needed to have ticked at the time. Good. And how long did it take you to write the, this very first book? Well, like I hinted, I wrote that for NaNoWriMo. So 30 days sitting at the typewriter of an old typewriter, ribbon and bell type of thing. But of course, even though readers think that that's what writing is about, it isn't really, is it? It's about conjuring an original thought and then typing out and, and then editing it. So the original thought probably entered my mind a couple or three years before that. And the, the editing process um, took far longer because of my first book. It took far longer than I expected. So I think I, I'd had to edit it seven times before, before it was like readable. So yeah, so I think all in all, three years. Okay, so to... during Nano Remote, did you actually write the 50 words and that was it? That was the first draft 50... was all done? Yeah, I wrote um, 56,000 words straight off. But obviously, it's a bit all of the original idea or the original theme was there. But yeah. then, of course, yeah, the actual act every day, you've got to think of how your character walks into a room or you've got to imagine how your character moves from A to B, haven't you? So yes. that's the burning thing, isn't it? That's the difficult thing. Yeah. Yes, because like you have like the big pieces and then you have to put it all together with smaller pieces so that yeah. it works and that's something I wanted to talk about because you say you're you're good at planning like a book series I saw that in your profile so <laughs> like any advice that you could give me on like, because I have in my mind a seven book series about like a fantasy and would be like a young adult thing and yeah. how do you plan like things that will happen and then like cliffhangers, but still yeah. have a satisfying book within itself. Like any advice on that? That Well, the first thing you've just said then is absolutely crucial. You must have a book finale cliffhanger. Um, but obviously that comes after. It's a bit odd because you would never do that in an ordinary um, self-contained novel. But the cliffhanger comes after the satisfying conclusion of that particular story. And I recommend you have another uh, what I call cliff perch halfway through the, halfway through the book so that it gives the um, readers the chance to understand that you're going to be teasing them a little bit more later on so it doesn't come as a nasty shock at the end but you've got to have that cliffhanger because you want them to um to have to you know they really must want to buy that next book but I think you must have a sustainable um central conflict so something like Harry versus Voldemort or the Empire versus the Rebel Alliance, something which you can write about for a whole seven, because you're talking about possibly 350,000 words. It could take, I mean, if you detect my anxious tone in my voice, it's, I don't want to discourage you, but um, it's possibly going to be a three or four or even seven year project. Yeah. So you need to have something which is going to be sustainable through that. The great thing is you have got the room to uh, create a beautiful and satisfyingly immersive world, which is worthy of exploration. So you can put that extra uh, level of detail that perhaps somebody who's gonna be stuck at 80,000 words can't do. And you can also flesh out your principal characters over episodic time. And one of the things I think is an advantage uh, to a series is that um, you don't need to have any information dumps at all. Because if you think about it, you don't need to have a, a, pre, a prologue. You don't need any epilogues because you can explain everything in episodic stories all the way across the series. So if you feel like you're doing information dumps, then just add that to book one. 
I reckon that's what happened with George Lucas, but by the way, (laughs) (laughs) he had to keep going back and say, actually, that wasn't actually the first episode. I just realized what the first episode was. The only other thing I would recommend to you is um, think about your naming conventions quite early on, because you'll want to have series words and you'll want to have series titles, which all obviously fit together nicely. Um, and people don't think about those until halfway through and it's too late then. And would you be doing a conventional novel size, like 50,000 words or would it be shorter? Around 50,000. I'm more yeah. of a writer that writes less words. Like I have yeah. a hard time expanding on my ideas, just like goes from point A to point B. Okay, sorry, done. But then like <laughs> what, what happens? <laughs> what do you think is the essential ingredient of fantasy? Well, the essential ingredient is to uh, move um, from the world we live in now, the present, this world, to the other world, and explore the place in between, which is the liminal space in between. So every single uh, fantasy must have that as an ingredient. So for example, in the Lion Wish in the Wardrobe, obviously the uh, family go through the wardrobe, or in Alice in Wonderland, she moves through the mirror or down the hole to get to the other world. And it's that moving across, which is the important part, because we all do that in our own lives. We do have these moments of liminal activity. So, for example, when it's your first day at school and you don't quite fit in and you don't really feel right, but you're, you're not, um, you can't go back to the small school. You've, you've got to go forward, but you're stuck in this liminal space. Or perhaps if, you've, um, if you're married, marrying in the morning, and it's your wedding the night before. So you're living with your parents that last night, but you can't go back. You're going to get married in the morning. It's a liminal moment. And that's what you need to explore in any fantasy. So um, an example, another example is then the Hobbits and in the Lord of the Rings. If you remember, both Frodo and Bilbo leave their um, homes in Hobbiton on their birthday because, it, because birthdays, especially big birthdays, are a liminal moment. 21st birthday and 18th birthday very liminal moments or um luke skywalker he has to move from his um home you know in the ranch and he has to go into space and that's the bit that um i think is absolutely essential in fantasy okay so going like that movement crossing from, the door where to yes. another place yeah so from the it's kind of, and almost touching that border as best you can almost touching it and trying to feel it You know, when you walk into a church and it feels sacred because it's just slightly different or you're just about to enter a graveyard or a cemetery and you know that there's a little bit of difference between that and the the world that we normally inhabit. People say, is there, if I'm not religious, people said to me, is there a liminal space that that you can think of? And I always say, yes, imagine a fun fair at night and there's no children laughing and joking and it suddenly feels quite ghostly and quite eerie because that's the liminal space. It's not quite what it should be. That's the thing you need to try to create in your work. I don't think I'm that in touch with my emotions. Like, <laughs> like it's, it sounds like you have in this intuition and you get in touch with like the energy of the space or something like that. So that's that's very great to hear about that. Do you, do you know like top tropes, fantasy tropes that need to be in the book like to make it satisfying for readers i'm uh, i'm not a um, fan of tropes i'll be honest (laughs) i like 
think people to be creative i like people to be imaginative and i almost work against tropes okay so for example this whole thing about why does a wizard have to be old why does a wizard have to be a male why does an elf have to be good why does an elf have to be always righteous why can't we have evil elves because they were originally evil anyway and one trope which i particularly dislike is this whole orphan trope you know the it's always an orphan but yeah. a lot of us like myself i've had um sisters and um we have a lovely family but i felt quite alone a lot of the time and i would, could go off and have my own adventures and i did have my own adventures not just in my own mind but also you know little adventures going out and exploring the world so you can have an exploration without having to be a uh, an, an orphan so yeah to, to my mind um fantasy is just about uh the myth and magic and that magic of that liminal space trying to imagine what the other world is like and we all experience it because we all have visited the other world because we visit it in our dreams right. so <laughs> great that makes sense what are the your best productivity tips well um I like using the Pomodoro technique. If you, did you come across that when you were working on your one-year plan? I don't know. Did yeah, you? yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I do is divide my work up into 25-minute intervals. Each interval is separated by a short break. Mm -hmm. And each interval is known as the Pomodoro, which is the yeah. Italian word for tomato. Um, and what I like about it is that um, nobody has uh, the ability to actually concentrate on anything for more than 50 minutes. doesn't matter how intelligent you are. 50 minutes is your absolute limit. So if you do two Pomodoros, which is 225 minutes, and then and then have a nice break, you can get a lot of work done and you feel like you're being successful because you are ticking off your um, action, your to-do list. Yeah. A lot of people like word sprints. I don't know if you've used those. I like doing those sometimes. Then you're competing against other people. Yeah, I'm more into being constant, like writing my 300 or 400 words every night yeah. when I'm when I'm in a rush to publish, that's what I do. Because last year I wrote a whole trilogy. That was my, that was my goal for last year. I'm not doing it this year though, but um, no, I so I know you. I can write three short novels in a year. Maybe I'll try to top that some other time. Not this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, on NaNoWriMo, which is a great thing. And I do encourage anybody to do that. And I think everybody should give it a go. A lot of people uh, don't make it. But I'm always amazed by the people, I don't even see them, but when they get to day 15 and they start doing the second 50,000 words, they almost do two marathons back to back. You know? <laughs> it's amazing. Like I never <laughs> made it in NaNoWriMo. I think I did it three times, but every time I start a new project and every time I'm closer to publishing because like I'm trying my best. So yeah, it's okay. I still feel good about participating. Well, you yeah, you should do. <laughs> But there are um, obstacles to productivity. I think fatigue especially can be exacerbated by um, Netflix and social media and video games. And I think it's important to ration yourself uh, with those distractions because otherwise they can make you less productive. You certainly should eat healthily. I'm sure you do. Um, and emotional stress as well. The other thing I always say to people is don't beat yourself up if you can't write. Some days you just can't write because you haven't got that creative spark. So don't fret about it and never force yourself to write if you can't do it that day. I'm a great believer in what the army used to call the rest and recreation, which is not only take a rest, but also do something completely different, a diversion, you know, a diverting activity. 
for me, it's I do cooking or gardening or go for a run, you know, physical exercise or just do something completely different, which has nothing to do with a screen. Get away from the screen. I think that's yeah. important. Okay, good. What do you think is the hardest thing about becoming a self-published author? For me, it's um, having to uh, view my work as a product okay. because um, I can see obviously why uh, in the past, traditionally, we've always, yeah, the author's always allowed somebody else to do that for us. They've outsourced for that job because I don't like the idea that my art is a product, which has yeah, a, a commercial product. It is part of me. It came out of my heart often. And, uh, and I, let, I let it loose into the world. I don't feel like I want to sell it. So what I've been doing is try to present myself as the product rather than trying to push or flog the art. And of course, that means you've got to come become your own public relations specialist and you've got to push yourself forward. And of course, that's difficult as well, because yeah. authors are not uh, famous are they, for being you know, big I am people. <laughs> I like how you change your thought about like, OK, let's not talk about the art as a product but let's talk about myself the artist as a product but yeah. then you still have to consider yourself as a product so then you have to yeah but you are the product at least then um your actual uh artwork isn't tainted by commercialization but you are the person uh, i went to a conference a couple of three years ago and they said if you are an author come in that's why i always wear this um thing you can see on top of my head i've got a dough rag everybody should have one thing that associates yourself it associates everybody with you. It's saying, yes, I am an author and I'm a bit different for everybody else and I am the product. And you're kind of um, taking away um, the commercialization taint from the art, which is the book, and you're making yourself the, uh, the product which you want to promote. Right. And how do you promote yourself? I know you do <laughs> podcast interviews. Do you do other activities too? Yeah, so I've got my own... Um, uh, podcast as you know but I, I developed a thing called that I call author positioning which is which obviously in, for me feels l less anxious than you know, promotion and sales so I like to position myself on my social networks I've got quite a few followers on Instagram I've got a little less than 10,000 I've got about two and a half thousand followers on Twitter and I tend to discuss what I've been doing in a book or tell a little story about how I come up with an idea. I create my own memes. Um, I share some news. I share quotes from my books, share photos and things. And it's always about positioning myself. And if I can, if I've got a new book coming out, then I'll obviously try to meld those two things together, but yeah. in a way that I'm comfortable with. I think the important thing is I want to be comfortable with that. And that's the, the hard bit, I think. That's the hard bit of being a self-published author. Mm -hmm. We can't be everything, can we? <laughs> no, no, we can't. What, why, uh, what writing project are you currently working on? Well, um, at the moment, so NaNoWriMo last year, I wrote a uh, fiction on a castle in set in medieval uh, Wales. It's not fantasy fiction, although it has got all the elements of fantasy because it's a castle and it's got a princess who runs the castle. So that's got to be edited. Um, and in June, June the 17th, I'm... Um, 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 publishing my Pattern Maker in the Tide, which has taken about three years to edit. And it's a book which um, touches on a heavy subject. It's human migration. Okay. And it's something that I dealt with when I was in law enforcement. But I tried to treat it with a light touch. So it's, there's a little bit of lightness in it. 
and it's quite an unusual idea for a, for a book I think is it still fantasy no so that's um that's my loyalty and duty type <laughs> okay yeah um uh, it's about I'll tell you what it's about it's about uh, an old man um white man and but he finds a baby a Arab baby on the beach and what happens I suppose I'm dealing with myself here as well what happens when an old man finds a baby a, a girl a young lady across the street sees what he does and she goes across to help and of course people then start hating her as well so she gets a lot of hatred because she's trying to help the old man <laughs> even the family even the old man's family are saying why is she getting involved is she a gold digger and okay so got, yeah so you got all of those problems as well so, awesome that sounds awesome <laughs> so this one will be launched when so that's uh, june the 17th and it's called pattern okay. maker and the tide okay good and if people want to know more about you about your books where can they connect with you yeah you can um I'd like people to visit my author page on Amazon, which is just Neil Mac, N-E-I-L-M-A-C-H. My Twitter handle is at Neil Mac, or one word, N-E-I-L-M-A-C-H. And I'd love talking to other authors and I'd like to get involved. And my website is Neil Mac, or one word, dot me. Thank you for sharing your experience and your expertise with me today. I'll make sure to share the links in the show notes if the listeners want to go check you out. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Lovely to speak to you. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you loved what you heard, be sure to share it with me by leaving me a review. If you are ready to publish your book, let me take your hand in my course, How to Self-Publish on Amazon. I will show you every step you need to take to successfully go through the publishing process on the platform. Keep on writing, 